Welcome to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today I have two guests in studio with us. We have Anita Krieger, a 1970 QU grad, and Linda Moore, a 1981 grad. Anita is from the Chicago area and has been very active as a retired alum. Linda lives here in Quincy. She serves as our city treasurer and holds several roles of support and assistance for QU. Anita and Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be here. Thank you. There is so much that we could highlight with each of you regarding your careers and accomplishments, but today let's focus on your time at QU and then your connections with alum. Anita, let's let's start with you and talk about what was your major and what were some of your favorite classes and professors? Well, I was a physical education major. Um, I came here because it was a small co-ed Catholic uh, college that had... Uh, physical education major for women. Uh, Big schools had it, but not the small schools. And I just walked into a program where uh, Charlene Taylor, Peter, was um, on the forefront of getting women involved in sports. And it was just what we did for recreation. Some of my favorite classes, of course, were the physical education classes because when I was in high school, we played basketball, volleyball, and we had stunts and tumbling. (laughs) I played in the park district with volleyball, floor hockey, um, some 16-inch softball. I didn't know there was a 12-inch and a 4-inch ball when I got here. Um, And then uh, of the classes, um, FJ, uh, Father Francis Jerome in World History. That's got to be the favorite. I've Um, heard that name quite a bit. just loved going to his class. It was funny and interesting. Made you really want to read more. Um, and I, it was a great time in my life, made good friends, still friends with many different groups, not just the athletes. Well, what were the classes like uh, and the expectations when you were at QU? I'm sure it's likely different than, than what we're expecting today from students, but... It was, it was very competitive. You know, it was just getting... There were thousands of us were the beginning of the boomers everything was expanding at that point so it was competitive to just get into a school um i didn't want to go to a big university and i didn't want to go to another all-girls school (laughs) (laughs) so uh, and and quincy quincy college at that time was was billed as the friendliest college in america and uh also, we had heard that the uh, ratio of men to women was two to one. <laughs> I don't know if that was true, but there were a lot of guys on campus. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Linda, uh, what about your degree? My degree was in business administration, business management. And I would say my favorite classes were probably U.S. History with David Costigan, who also had coached baseball earlier, uh, but then Dick Maglieri was by far my favorite business professor. Um, And, uh, you know, Lenny Bialis, I had a a world religions class with him. I really enjoyed that. Um, So I I can't say I had a bad professor while I was here. I I liked them all. I didn't have a class with FJ, but I certainly got to know him through my work in the public relations office. So he was always fun, whether in class or out. Well, you've mentioned at least four icons of Quincy University faculty, and, and there's many more we could name, but um, I think that's part of the um, rich tradition of Quincy University to have those people that come here and spend their whole careers here. 
Well, I, I didn't mean to slight. Charlene Peter was my favorite. She'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved Ann Bergman, too. She was my uh, advisor. Um, always had a positive experiences. Well, for both of you, how did your experiences at QU equip you to move on into your careers and to your life's challenges? Well, um, being a small college and not having a lot of resources, I remember my physical education majors class. When we studied a sport, we had to do a notebook. Everybody laughs about these notebooks, but we had to research whatever sport we were on, make lesson plans for it, history, any novelties you could um, come up with, uh, games. And when I left here, I felt that I could, even if I didn't know anything about it, I knew I could find it. You know, I could uh, back it up with basically research. Well, now I really love to research. Um, and when you're young like that and the world is your oyster, you'll, you think you can do anything. And I think I left here feeling that. And in my first job, I didn't... Um, get the uh, coaching position. I would have preferred to have been a volleyball coach, but there was another lady who couldn't coach anything else. So um, they said, can you coach tennis or gymnastics? And I said, sure. (laughs) uh, I I now look back on that and wondered where I had the guts to say something like that. But I went to clinics. They actually, the school provided some opportunities because I started teaching in 1972. So they were looking for women to coach the girls, you know, otherwise they just had the men coach the girls uh, as a sideline. So um, the school at Riverside Brookfield High School, where I, my first full-time job was, um, they were willing to send me wherever I needed to go. You just tell us, what, what do you need? Where do you want to go? And they paid for it. And so that's, that's how it began. And then I took on track, and eventually I wound up in volleyball. But I started the track program. I never was a runner. Huh. And uh, you, you can find the information. You can learn. And even today, in this day and age, it's way more available, you know, online and YouTube. And yeah, you didn't have Google back then. No. <laughs> no, really. Well, for me, QU actually shaped my career outside of the classroom as much as in the classroom. I was a student worker in the public relations office, and because of my interest in the sports field, I ended up serving as the sports information publicist, so I learned to keep stats. I learned how to write articles about sports. Um, I worked with people like John Ortworth, Charlene Peter, Ann Bergman, Frank Longo, Jack McKenzie, Cheryl Hanks. Um, All of them taught me about their sport and the stories that needed to come from those sports and and the messages we needed to get across, not just to the Quincy community, but to future students, to our alumni in those programs. So I learned the business of sport through my work outside the classroom here, and then, of course, went on to um, work at the Olympics and then eventually to ESPN because of what I got here at QU. I know that you both have lasting friendships uh, from your time here at QU. Do you still stay in contact with with people even to this day? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have three different groups that I'm in contact with. Um, 
my roommate from college was uh, Jean Hoban, and she actually taught in a school not far from me, and she coached volleyball. So oh. we, we've been in contact for 55 years. I have a Zoom group that um, we're, we were all freshmen in Centennial West oh. on the first floor. And um, I went a different way, you know, and they stayed together and went through being roommates, but we reconnected about 20 years ago. And then during the pandemic, we started Zooming every Friday at 1 o'clock. And then... Um, the athletes, you know, um, Trish Highland, and uh, yes, a lot of lot of content. I was remarking earlier about as we are retiring, we're making more and more connections. You know, connecting with people that we haven't seen in years, and it's just mind boggling that it's been more than fifty years. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think your career gets in the way sometimes of keeping those connections right out of college, but as you get older, you realize how important those connections were. And so a lot of those relationships get rekindled, and as you get older, they become even more important because of those relationships you built in your college years. Well, let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Anita and Linda about their involvement with athletics and QU and what it was like to be a student-athlete. Stay with us. You're listening to From the Hawk's Nest. QU Hawk fans never have to miss a game. Visit QUHawks.com and click on the media tab to find the GLVC Sports Network. It's available on both your desktop and mobile tablet devices, as well as four over-the-top platforms, including Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. All live and on-demand archived video is available free of charge. For game schedules and the latest news, visit QUHawks.com. And follow Quincy University Hawks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And welcome back to From the Hawks Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman. And today we have in studio with us uh, 1970 graduate Anita Krieger and 1981 graduate Linda Moore, both of whom were athletes when they were at Quincy University as students and both of whom who have been very staunch supporters of our athletic programs for many years at QU. So I'll ask what sports were you involved in and um, maybe share your favorite memory from that sport. Well, um, I played field hockey, volleyball, and basketball. And um, it was kind of expected that the physical education majors played hockey. Uh, Ms. Taylor at that point strongly suggested it. <laughs> and none of us knew how to play field hockey. But it became, we were like-minded students, females who liked sport, um, and it became a very tight social group, you know. Um, I didn't play field hockey because I loved field hockey. <laughs> I loved the people, and I liked the coach, and I liked the activity. Uh, the volleyball I was way more serious about that. I had played in CYO up in Chicago um, and, and played a little bit of basketball, but volleyball was the main thing I paid, played in the park district too. Um, I, you know, it was, we didn't think about, we never really expected to be, you know, a recognized intercollegiate sport. You know, we just played because we love to play. And that was what it was all about. And when people say pioneers and we're like, I don't know that we ever had the intention. We always said, why not? But I don't think we ever had the intention to be trailblazers or the, for the people who are going to follow us. We were just filling a need and a, 
a love for, for being active and being with like-minded people. Well, and because of the work and the groundwork that was laid by field hockey and the first sports and the first coaches, Ann Bergman and Charlene Peter, by the time I came around, there were a group of us who played intramural soccer and we kept winning by huge margins. So we went to the administration to ask if we could have a soccer team. And we took the don't take no for an answer route. And if dad says no, ask mom. <laughs> and if mom says no, ask grandpa. <laughs> so, you know, when we wanted to start the soccer program, we wanted to play intercollegiately because we just wanted better competition. We went to Cheryl Hanks, the athletic director at the time, and he said, no, there's no money. We can't fund a program. We went to Charlene and Charlene said, hey, I have very limited resources for women's athletics. I don't know where we'd find the money from. So we finally went to uh, John Cernich, the dean of students, and said, hey, can we be a soccer club? Because we had found that there were a few other clubs in the Midwest. So we thought, let's just be a club team, get it started, and maybe we could start something that could be an intercollegiate sport eventually. So we started in like 1979-80 as a club team and only had a few games. Our first game, and probably my fondest memory, uh, we played the faculty. <laughs> that was our first game. And, you know, it was 19, 20-year-old girls playing against faculty. And if for those who knew Father Gabriel Brinkman, who was president at the time, you know, six foot plus tall and wingspan of 100 feet, he was the goalkeeper. <laughs> So I, I have fond memories of that game, and I can still see us playing it. That's how it got started. Wow. You know, then from there, it was about uh, three or four years later, they became a varsity program. And 10 years after that, they were in the final four of the NCAA Division II championship. So we started something. You know, it started with the groundbreakers and the pioneers who came in the late 60s and early 70s. And by 1980, we were the don't take no for an answer generation and have built from there. So, and it's, it's fun to see all of the athletic programs today and how far the women have come. But yet I was reminded Wednesday night, I spoke to the women's basketball team. They're trying to build a locker room uh, and they're using the same locker room that was used 30 years ago and they share it with the men's visiting teams. So we're still not where we wanna be but we're sure a lot further than we were in 1970 or 1980. And who won that game between the Oh, faculty? the faculty killed us. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you left that part out. So. Yeah. <laughs> but we had fun, and we proved that we were serious. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, um, you know, this is a good segue to say that it has now been 50 years since Title IX and the establishment of women's sports, and clearly we've made some great progress. But as you mentioned, there's uh, you know, definitely room for us to grow in that endeavor. Tell us about your thoughts and feelings about what the 50th anniversary of Title IX means. Well, it, it puts some uh, bite in um, offering opportunities for women. And there were so many assumptions just made about women and what they could do and what it would do to them. And, and um, 
it was still a struggle after that because, well, because of where we are today. If it, it, it was perfectly equal, we would be a lot further along. It's still a struggle everywhere. Um, but you have the law behind us. And it's funny because when things start going bad, then you say, well, do you know anything about Title IX? <laughs> I've heard that a time or two. Yes. <laughs> well, and Title IX is about more than athletics. It's about education and offering the same opportunities. You know, all of us uh, involved with this podcast, we're, not, we're no longer first-generation students. There are still a lot of first-generation students whose parents tell the girls, well, you know, you're going to become a nurse or a teacher, right? You're not going to become a professional athlete because that's not possible. And we know it is possible. It just takes a lot of extra effort sometimes to get where you want to go. Uh, just ask so, Karen Kimner, our exactly. men's volleyball coach. <laughs> exactly. And, and Karen is a wonderful example. And to have her as a role model within the QU community is fantastic because she was one who had to fight her way as a female athlete, and she's an Olympian. You know, so I'm sure she's got even better stories than we have. Uh, but um, the good thing to come out of Title IX is opportunity. And it's, there's no longer a stigma attached to being a female athlete. We don't talk about male athletes and female athletes as much as we talk about athletes. You know, um, it's why we don't have the Lady Hawks and the Male Hawks. It's Hawks because it, there is an equal opportunity. And I think at a place like QU, the women are treated with respect that maybe once wasn't there. Um, so Title IX, I think, has given us a lot of respect, but it's the women who paid the price and made the sacrifices you know, I remember we made peanut butter sandwiches and took on the road sometimes. Uh, after college, I was over at McMurray College in Jacksonville. I was the women's coach, and we started a club team there. I had a 72 station wagon, and the entire team, 20 people, piled into that station wagon because we didn't have vehicles. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it, it was cramped, but it was a big station wagon. So everybody was like, yeah, we're comfortable. Let's go. You know, so we'd go to St. Louis and play games oh and, you know, um, we did what we had to do and really didn't think about it, you know, and now it's like, I'm glad they don't have that because A, it was unsafe, yeah. you know, B, it just wasn't comfortable. Um, so, you know, it's good to see how far we've come. And yet knowing in the last 50 years, we've just got to look forward to where are we going to be 50 years from now? And, of course, we're going to celebrate uh, Title IX and that anniversary um, at our next Hall of Fame on November 5th. And uh, we'll also be honoring our field hockey pioneers at that time, too. So we look forward uh, to that event coming up. Let's talk about advice. Um, you both have done a lot in your careers and uh, have come a long way since graduation day many years ago. What advice would you give to current QU students or even to some alumni about what you've learned along the way? <laughs> Tough question, huh? Yeah, that, that's a hard one. There's so many lessons. I usually go back to uh, a quote from St. Francis. Do what is necessary, do what is possible, and suddenly the impossible happens. You know, when you want to start something, you do what you have to do. You do the necessary part. And then you start doing what you can do, the possible. 
and that's exactly what we did, you know, and Anita's uh, teammates, they did what was necessary. You know, Charlene said, uh, you do want to play field hockey, right? <laughs> and so they said yes, because that was necessary. And then they did what was possible. They practiced, they worked on it. You know, they laid a foundation for what might have been thought to be impossible at that point, which is to have intercollegiate competitions for women. You know, and we went on and, you know, the women have a national championship in softball from 1985. And they have a number of appearances in national tournaments throughout the years in various sports. Uh, one thing that, and it came out of coaching, um, and I think as I look back on my life, I think in, it was the somewhere in the back and, and it came out in coaching. And I don't know where the co quote came from, but it was, think you can or think you can't, either way you'll be right. And I always thought, you know, no matter what's in your way, it's all about your mental attitude about it and how much you want it. Yeah, I, I think those are both great words to live by and, uh, and good thoughts. Well, Anita, Linda, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today and, and talk about the past a little bit. Well, thank, thank you for having us. Thank you. And join us next time on From the Hawk's Nest, uh, where we talk to faculty, staff, students, alums, and Franciscan friars about their QU journey. I'm Matt Bergman, and remember, it's always a great day to be a hawk. Hawk.